Welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. Today we have another interview from Rebecca's most recent trip to Ireland. She sits down with Nuala Clark to discuss the conceptual aspects of her work, which is fed by imagination, memory, what she reads, and the natural world of North County Mayo, Ireland. Without further ado, here's Rebecca Kroll. Welcome to the Messy Studio, Ireland edition. I'm here with Nuala Clark. We're actually sitting in a car looking out at the, um, at the beach at Bally Castle in uh, County Mayo, Ireland. It's very scenic. And um, I'm just about to wrap up my time here at Bally Castle, but Nuala actually lives here, so she's a very lucky woman. <laughs> And um, she's a Nula's a painter and um, uh, abstraction, working in acrylic and pretty large pieces sometimes. So Nula, why don't you tell us a little bit about your work and what you're doing? I I know you're having a show coming up, so let's let's start with that. Yes. Hi. Hi. Um, uh, a show of mine is opening on Saturday. Uh, this Saturday um, in a gallery in Mayo and it's the first time I've worked with this gallery Um, I've been making the work for the last few months Um, really it was very much open to me what I wanted to uh, make the focus of the show Um, we just decided I would have a show and then up to me what, what would happen for that show so it took me a while to search around for what I might be interested in working with, what idea I might be interested in working with. A very good friend of mine, Stephen Corsano from the US, he's also an artist worth looking up. Um, He uh, likes to send me um, books um, so that my birthday present this year was a book, was a Bachelard book, Gaston Bachelard, oh. called Air and Dreams. Uh-huh. So this was the book that I happened to be to have on my um, desk as I was beginning work, um, and I would read it during lunch breaks. Um, I do eat lunch in the studio because it's the warm room. That's okay. <laughs> and I can... Um, I won't tell health and safety department. <laughs> I, can, I can stay with the work and not get distracted by housework because my studio is at home. Right. So um, I would pick up Air and Dreams through, you know, and, and, and read a, a line or two and then promptly get distracted. Oh. <laughs> and what sort of book is... Is it poetry? Is it it's uh, not. fiction? It's, what is it? It's um, Gaston Bachelard writes about. Um, it's peculiar because I don't think I've ever read an entire chapter all the way through. It's uh, you know I read lines and yeah. you know maybe a paragraph, and um, it's about poetry. It's um, philosophy, I suppose, is what you oh. might. It's probably what you might call it, or philosophy, or critique, or hmm. um, he will talk about the air or the clouds say the the first line of the um chapter about clouds is how they are the most oneric of objects which is the most dreamlike of objects you know so this um was very inspiring to me the fact that he um uh he um joined up cloud and dream 
for me. And I've been working with this idea mm. of, um, I've been working with clouds for a long time, um, this idea of as above, so below. We're sitting at the beach here now and um, the it's very foggy today. There's a sea fog has come in. Um, so we can't quite see the magical thing that often happens here where you have um, a cloud in the sky that reflects in the sea. And so you see this this constant um, uh, um, relationship between the, 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 the sea and the sky mm-hmm. and the reflectiveness or the colour of things or how one the colour um, changes from the sort of silvery grey to another type of grey and then the sky goes from a, a sort of a, a you know a bluish paley white blue to like this yeah. other sort of so I'm constantly looking at these relationships and so when I have this book in front of me that's dealing with those relationships mm-hmm. and uh Bachelor is in the mix and I'm in the mix so there's this whole yeah. sort of now we've got this third thing of of the body of the artist the body of the writer is 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 in the mix um so so it kind of prompts you into a certain mood or place of from which your work comes yeah sort yeah. of state of being yeah um and so yeah so he was talking about um utopia Mm. Um, which is a very um, I'm not sure I had a full I'd never really looked into utopia before I'd never looked into the origin of the word or I'd never looked into what it might actually be mm-hmm. um, I, you know you have the sort of mass culture idea of what utopia is mm-hmm. um, and I decided to investigate it a little bit further mm-hmm. and so um the definition of it, say the, I love to look at the etymology of a word to to sort of get an idea of where does this really coming from. So it comes from utopos, O-U-T-O-P-O-S. So that means, literally in Greek, means no place. Hmm. So this idea of utopia being no place, and what it is, is it's the, in the imagination, it's this place or state of things in which everything is perfect, Ah. which naturally has to be in the imagination because nothing is ever perfect. So um, the name of my show is Utopos. So uh, that's, you know, sort of, I wound around to that. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think... um, uh, that's what we as artists do in our own way. Whatever we're dealing with is when we're working on a painting, there's a perfection that we're seeking yes. in the place of the painting or whatever it might be. And that's our job, really, to figure out what that perfection is for ourselves. Yes. And um, it's, yeah, it is removed from the idea of a perfect place being something that everybody would agree would be perfect exactly. instead it's your own perfect place <laughs> and that is exactly it that yeah. that's what i realized that this what i could do in this show or what i could highlight in this show is to highlight what i've always been trying for and what it is that we do like they you know i can't control most of the world outside of me and even most of the world in, inside of me <laughs> So so the space of the work is the one place where I can find the perfect alignment and where for most of my life I have been trying to find the perfect alignment. That that 
that way that a, that a piece of color or a shape, let's say, will angle itself so that it sits perfectly next to another. Mm-hmm. And my sense of perfect alignment or rightness or truth in a painting certainly isn't the same as somebody else's. But what I really wanted to do with this particular work was to be rigorous with myself and find that perfect alignment in a, in a, in a work. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure that the, um, that the objects were sitting next to each other in a way that was completely satisfying to me. And seeing as I live here and I'm taking all my, you know, visual cues from the things around me here, they do have a sort of look of um, North Mayo. Mm-hmm. They do have similar colours to, yeah, you know, sand and sea and sky and land and those interactions. But it's not... Uh, those are just the supports on which I hang this mm-hmm. sort of more... Um, abstract way of working and so then this idea of no place because it is no place it's not a place that I'm I'm not painting landscapes Mm -hmm. they are abstract paintings the 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 reason for them is to create is to organize space in a perfect way but they do have these cues from around Mm. me and how how important is it to you that you do take from your environment that you're not just create inventing shapes or colors because they please you but they are connected to what's around you well it just so happens that it's what i've always done i have always taken from what's around me and i do actually find my surroundings quite pleasing yes so <laughs> it, you know the two things actually you know they come together quite easily when i was living in new york i was i had a, one of my favorite studios was on 38th street and 8th avenue mm-hmm. and the way they were building the new york times building on 42nd street and in new york there's always hoarding up there's always scaffolding and there was these the the buildings there in the garment district are they they have this sort of feeling of being handmade you know when you look up you know they're brown and tall and there's lots of windows but they're not made of metal and they're made of they're made of brick and stone and there were all these so those things at that time really pleased me mm. and the paintings reflect that but in a in a completely abstract way mm-hmm. you know and there, so there were there were orange uh, traffic cones combined with that there's a particular blue that they use on the wooden hoarding that goes around the scaffolding and you know there's so all those yeah. uh, those things and so now that I'm here um these things appeal to me and so when you you basically you're responding to whatever appeals to you yes in what you're seeing and um most of it probably is the natural world it seems like yeah. But not all of it. Not all of it, because a lot of it, you know, I'm very influenced um, by the sea and also imagination. And one of my constant companions is the book Moby Dick. So <laughs> I do. When I was a child, I had a, I, there were very many daydreams about the sea and underneath the sea and being on the sea or in the sea. Hmm. And so a lot of the paintings have that sort of feeling of. Um, you know, of of some sort of sea creature mm-hmm. or sea beings, or you're kind of immersed in it. In a lot of them, there's so much blue, and there's things that kind of 
emerge out and go back in. And we will put some of these uh, on the Messy Studio Facebook page so that our listeners can actually see them instead of trying to to picture them in our words. But um, but what you're saying is, you know, what I was getting from them too was this kind of immersion in a blue world. A lot of times, yes. yeah. Um, and I, I also want to just. As an aside, say, we're recording this right now in, in April, and uh, you're probably listening to it after Nula's show has already closed, unfortunately, But because we always record ahead. So just to say, um, this will probably have already taken place by the time you hear this. And um, so this show, is it different because it's all paintings? I know sometimes you've had other aspects to your work. Well, um it really, to me, the medium that I work in um, takes its form, uh, or the, the show takes its form from the idea that it's coming from. Mm-hmm. So there is a conceptual element to my work. I'm not just, uh, I'm not just a material painter. Um, so the last, the show I had at the beginning of, at the in 2017, um, it was a really transformative show for me and it needed to have other elements. So it needed to have a smell and a sound element Mm. as well as the work and it needed to be structured in a very particular way and one work led to the next work um, and there was a whole path of transformation that happened for me through through making the work. And so that was the last body of work I made before this body of work. And when something so transformative has happened, it can all often be um, difficult to to know what to work with next. Mm-hmm. Um, so it took me a little while to come to this work. Um, but then when I did, it was great because I saw that it, it um, fed all the way back to my childhood. Mm. Um, which I don't know about you, but I find that with a lot of artists, yes. um, they're working with things that they saw or heard or felt or did or, you know, when they were children. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's certainly Absolutely. the case with me. Yeah. And, I, and it's, a you know, I'm in my uh, mid, maybe late 40s now at this stage. <laughs> um, and I'm still discovering those things even. Mm-hmm. They're still becoming clear. And sometimes they cycle back through, you know, you think about something for a while and enters your work in some way and then maybe forget about it and then 10 years later it pops up again and That's right. you say oh you again you know yeah. and it, because I think there are themes and stories of our lives that keep um, we keep touching back on them in different ways over time which I find very interesting yeah I do too and I think time uh, you know Every bit of work I make has, I like to include some sort of time element. Hmm. So whether something about the sound piece I made for the last show had, it was a way of slowing people down in the gallery, in the particular place that that sound was playing. Hmm. I wanted them to spend a bit longer and the sound um, was very... um, uh, sense-based so it was about feeling things and touching things and it was in the section of the show that had to do with the body so what I was really hoping for was this sense uh, that somebody would feel that their own body and um, have some sense of their own body while in that part of the show 
What was an example of the sound that they would hear? It was it was a conversation that I had with it, it was two voices. Um, my voice was on the, coming out of the left channel, and my friend and sometime collaborator Crystal Gandrod, her voice was coming out of the right channel, hmm. and we were essentially having a conversation about all kinds of things. Oh. Including oranges and gin and grandmothers and <laughs> all, all Just kinds friend of things. Talk, yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, it was more. It wasn't. It was a more for. It was a formal conversation. Oh, it see. was quite. You know, it, it wasn't. It wasn't just a chat. Just a small chat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I know um, you, one of the pieces I always think of of yours, of course, is the the Mariner's Laundry. Um, I got the title right. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So, because we're looking out at the beach, and probably down there on the beach right now somewhere, are little scraps of cloth that have washed in, and um, so you you started collecting those at one yes, point. And yes. tell us just a little bit about that project. Well, this beach is within walking distance of my house, so I would leave this the house, leave the studio and come down, walk down here and take a walk down the beach. It's not a very long beach. There's a there's a sort of a river halfway through it. And in the summertime, you can cross the river, but in the wintertime, it kind of stops you. Um, but I began to see scraps of cloth and I have always been a collector. And when myself and my mother walk on a beach, we always pick things up. Mm-hmm. So um, without really even being all that conscious of it, I was picking these this cloth up and bringing it home. And it, because it was sandy, um, I would hang it on the washing line and uh, on the clothesline. And it, it started to gather momentum. There was more and more cloth on the line and this story began to come to me of this mariner, a female mariner who is always on the sea um, has been and the sort of myth of this mariner um, I don't have a name for her, she is a mariner um, came to me and um, over the course of a few years I sort of you know, I did some writing on it, sort of short poem and then um, the cloth, I have gathered so much of it had taken pictures and video and um and after a period of time where I just that I spent with it it then went out into the world and um was part of an exhibition on migrants because that's been happening where the migrants I I probably all through history migrants have taken to the sea people mm. have taken to the sea to flee something or find something and um, Irish people certainly have a long history of taking to the sea. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, so it's very poignant for me and very loaded. And um, there must be, I don't know how much cloth There's there is cloth out there in the, the bay. Piles of it. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca often picks bits up. I, I found I, a piece <laughs> on, my, on my doorstep recently. <laughs> I can't. I said to Nula, I can't. I can't not pick them up now when I see them because I <laughs> immediately think, "Oh, I wonder if she would like this." And so um, it's I added actually, my small bit. <laughs> yeah, and it's a thing you have to tune into. Like when I was in New York, I used to pick up the the feathers I'd find on the ground, oh. and people would say, "Where do you find all these feathers?" Because my bag would. I'd open my bag in a restaurant to take out my wallet, and all these feathers would pop out and. A lot of people were disgusted because they were pigeon feathers and Mm -hmm. there's this idea that pigeons are quite um, dirty animals. 
but um, it's all a matter of opinion in my mind. But, um, <laughs> you know, and the days I'd tune into the feathers, you'd see feathers everywhere. And the days when you when I wouldn't, you wouldn't see feathers right. anywhere. So I find that very interesting. Yeah. What you don't see and then what you do see. Yeah, I have a friend who spends summers in Florence, Italy, and she, she likes to collect um, posters and things that are stuck on the walls, you yes. know? And so she'll just walk along, and, and I started doing this when I was visiting her. You just sort of put your hand up and casually rip a piece of old poster. She's she's careful not to take the ones that are still for something that's upcoming, but she has, you know, an ethic about this. Yes. But the old ones, she'll just rip it off, just casually walking by, and has this great collection of this. I'm sure the color is amazing. Amazing little bits of words and things, and, yeah. and she's used them in collages and things. So, But once I got what she was doing and visiting I started doing it too and seeing yeah. them everywhere and it's kind of a treasure hunt you know it's it's a nice nice way to take a walk when you're kind of looking for something too and um, so I think I think it's influenced the way that I, I walk on the beach now and I kind of keep an eye out for that stuff so it's great interesting so um, you mentioned living in New York and um, I think it would be interesting to know a little bit about your the arc of your life and your career and where you've lived and how you ended up back in Ireland? So, yes, so I grew up in Ireland. I grew up in Dublin and went to college in Dublin. And two friends of mine had from college had been to New York and they always raved about it. And I uh, loved movies that were set in New York, like Desperately Seeking Susan, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the Madonna movie. Of course, I loved the Scorsese stuff as well, but initially it was Desperately Seeking Susan when I was a teenager. Um, So I was sort of fascinated by this place and fascinated by the idea that maybe I could live there. So when there was a chance, I went there as a student for a few months during the summer, came back, finished college, in the meantime, applied for a green card. And in Ireland, we're very fortunate in that we had gotten several opportunities to um, move to America legally um, with a green card. So I, with the help of people who got me a job, I um, moved to New York and um, not with like not any like job with any great shakes, you know. It was I think, I think somebody a lot sponsored of people go to New York on that basis. <laughs> well, I was going to spend a few months in New York and then move to Arizona. I had this idea in oh. my head that Arizona would be the place. At the time, I loved really deep reds. Now that is not the case anymore. It's so funny with relationship to color, um, how that can change over time. And one color that means so much to you at some one point in your life can really just be. Um, almost repellent in another mm, part of your mm. life. So um, it was this sort of idea of the, the colour of the rock, the red, um, was really appealing. But I got I got stuck in New York and um, <laughs> very early on because I had, was seeing friends getting full-time jobs and not making any paintings. Very early on, I, I got hard-headed and, re- and just... Uh, told myself that I had a full-time job already, which was being a painter, and that well, I was, that was brave. That I was only going to take part-time jobs, and um, so I was. Uh, so it took so it took a long time. I was um, quite, um, you know, I, I got quite good at doing a lot on very little. 
Mm-hmm. And um, because I certainly wasn't successful right away, um, that, you know, I, I, I did all kinds of things. I painted on the street. I traveled and painted outside and sold paintings sometimes for two dollars and sometimes <laughs> the same size painting for a hundred dollars you know it depended on where I was or so you were you were painting in public and selling the paintings yes oh, yes yes so <laughs> which was scary that sounds really scary it was, it was scary it was it didn't but it 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 um you know it really gave me a chance to practice and um, I think uh, it takes a long time to get to to learn how to use your materials mm-hmm. it took me a long time and um, and it also took a long time my work has changed immensely um, my work now has this conceptual element to it and I can speak about it but for many years I, I had nothing to say about my work there was nothing to say it was purely paint on paper mm-hmm. it had it had an, an element of place to it but it, it, it was nothing more than sort of formal arrangement of things mm-hmm. um, now, it's, now it's different now that has changed mm-hmm. that developed um, so in 2007, I moved to New York in 93. And in 2007, I uh, came to Ballinglen, Ballycastle for the first time, did a, res- a month-long residency at the Ballinglen Arts Foundation. And um, that just, uh, the next year I came back for two weeks, which was way too short a period mm-hmm. of time. And I thought to myself, I n- never want to leave here. And so at that point, I decided to move here. <laughs> you seem to have a history of just sort of saying, this is what I want. I'm going to do it. Yes. You know, uh, that's, that's wonderful. Yes. You know. It did take four take- years after deciding to move. It took four oh. years to actually move because the crash happened. And, oh. you know, before the crash exactly happened, New York seemed to want me and Ireland wasn't answering my emails. So, you know, there was um, so it took a while. But um, in I oh I knew it would happen. So, yeah, my relatives are from around here. Uh-huh. I'm, I you know people around here know my granny. So it's not uh, it's not a random move. There's no. something. Even though I grew up in Dublin, this is where the what they call around here the home house. Uh-huh. So the home house is around here. I it's see. the it's the the farm that my father's family, the Clarks, the, mm-hmm. that they. Um, Grew that they were born and grew up in. Yeah, and was year. that was that uh, influential in wanting to come to Ballinglen the first time? Not really. No, no it's just I, a great I, place. It was only after it was just a great place. Yeah, and I applied and I got in. It was the first residency I ever applied to. I was looking for something different to do. I was yeah. in upstate New York. Um, I'd bought a fixer-upper house, and you know, it never ended up getting fixed up. But you know, it was it was. <laughs> I needed something else to do. I wanted to just try something new and applied. And then when I got here, I realized how close it was to the home house, and how much people, how many people knew who yeah. who I was. And I'd never had that experience before. You don't get that in New York. You don't get that sure. in New York. <laughs> I didn't get that in Dublin, where I grew up. Um, you know, this feels more like home than anywhere. Yeah. I've ever lived. Yeah. Well, that's that's quite a journey. Um, so, when you're saying your work is more conceptual now, I think I'd just like to end with you talking a little bit more about. Uh, do you know 
where ideas come from? Do you know, um, do they slowly develop? Do they come to you suddenly? Do you, you know, how does that work for you? Um, uh, say an idea for uh, a series or, and you did, you talked about it with the current show, yeah. and that was very interesting, but in general, is this kind of a mix of what you read, what you see, and then something sort of comes to you? Well, I I think what I've discovered with ideas is that they are um, tiny and immense at the same time. Hmm. So you have to really pay attention um, because they can disappear as fast as they arrive. Um, some ideas um, they take they they sort of they they brew and. Once you have a, a hold of it, they can kind of grow within your imagination or your psyche or your space, um, and then they become something quite present. Um, but some ideas are just, they're, you know, they're almost gone by the time you catch them. Mm -hmm. And um, I work with a notebook, so I don't, it's not like a sketchbook where I do drawings. But if, so I had my notebook open when I was trying to decide what this show was going to be, when I was trying to f find out, as in uncover what this show was going to be, because I do feel like I'm constantly only catching up with what I already know mm. or with what is already happening and that I kind of have to start to pay attention to see what is already happening that it's not like something imposed from the outside, but it's almost like I'm excavating what's on the inside. Um, um, hmm. So an idea has to be written down and then maybe you go away and you kind of have to... St I kind of have to stay in the atmosphere of this idea, kind of keep it with me um, and do a little bit more writing and then look back and go, oh, there it is. Uh -huh. And I'd already maybe had it on the first day or I'd had a tiny piece of it. And then six days later, I have gotten another piece or I've gotten more information either from outside of me or inside of me. Um, I work quite intuitively. And to me, I, I suppose one of the things that I don't often talk about, but that's really important in my worldview is that my head and my brain is is the least um, able part of my creative process, that in actual fact, it tries to take on the job uh, in a it tries to take on a job that's beyond it. I think the brain is good for like um, um, a certain kind of processing or a certain kind of technical, you know, yeah, the brain knows how to wash the brushes. The brain knows how to mix that color. But it's the body, the entire rest of this this um, fleshy thing that we're <laughs> we, we have at our disposal. That's the thing that has most of the knowledge contained in it. Mm. So it takes a while for all for, for that, for this whole lump of stuff to um, filter the information up to the brain. And um, so so to me, sometimes the ideas come through doing. So I might just start mm. painting something and I'll find that the ha that my hands have done something or they've mixed the color that then now is the color that's going to be the the color that this show is going to mm -hmm. try to highlight or, you know, um, 
Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you're you're painting intuitively, but you're also trying to bring your awareness to your intuition through writing and reading. Yeah, you know, so shining a light on certain things and. I suppose when you write, is it fairly stream of conscious, or is there something that sparks it? I'd say it's more di- uh, diagrammatical, it, oh. if that's a word. It my the writing is it takes the form of diagram. Really? Uh, there will be a starting point, and then there'll be branches out from that, and branches out from those branches. So you know maybe you know I might just write uh, utopia utopos. And then I might go to topos, and then I'd explore what I know about topos, um, topographical something, maps mm. something. Mm. Um, what is a map? It's a diagram of, again, another diagram, you know. And so there's sort of all these arrows coming out from from these words mm-hmm. and these ideas. So, yeah, it's more like I'm building a structure or a system yeah. that's not... Uh, two-dimensional it has the sort of three-dimensional um sort of sense oh, where that's really it sounds like a good a good tool to use in a lot of ways just to stimulate creativity and expand your generally we think sort of linear linearly yes but this is more of a broad uh, like a sphere rather than a line that's right yeah yeah it's like the um the the sort of uh, space uh, you know when they talk about space time how those, how space and time are, are it's 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 I don't know what dimension it is whether it's the fourth <laughs> or fifth dimension it's the this sort of it's space time so the two together there is I I as we spoke about before I read books on physics sometimes to blow my mind yeah. so that I can get into the sort of abstract space to make the work um, so when I read about space time and what that is I don't quite understand it but it is the sense of of not a line, but a um, but an internal, external, past, present, future. Um, yeah, yeah. Very sort of trying trying to encompass everything. It's almost like um, the effect that poetry can have. You know, when you read certain poetry, it doesn't have to make a linear sense. It's it just triggers things in your brain that are mind expanding. You yeah, know, and and just gives you maybe a certain feeling or sense. Um, that you, it's hard to put it into words. The yeah. poet has in a way, but it's. it's I say brain. Something. I'd say brain and body, because mm. sometimes a poem can bring up that um, it can evoke um, a memory which is body based. Mm-hmm. You know, some it's like a smell. You can. I've read poems in which I can smell something, mm-hmm. and um, and that's your whole system working. You know. Um, yeah. And I, I would really hope that, like for me, my experience in the studio includes all that type of type of experience. Mm. And I would like it if somebody looked at one of my paintings or, you know, not every painting will suit every person. But I would like it if they if those kind of experience was were brought to somebody looking at the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure I should start asking them and see if I'm <laughs> doing my job properly. But I think it would be a hard thing for people to explain, or, you know, you're very articulate about it, but I think when you see a painting that you feel moved by, for many people it's really hard to do any more than feel the feelings, yeah. but um, they may 
if you ask them, they might say, uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't exactly indicate maybe what was actually going on. So yes. um, it's it's ephemeral, or uh, there's another word I can't come up with, but it's beyond logical yes. thinking. A and lot of, of times. course, paintings do that thing that words can't yes. do. They do. They go beyond words yes. and beyond um, an, an explanation of something. Mm. Um, but I think I think when you have the conceptual element that you do, it does add a lot of depth because the conceptual element can be uh, explained, can be a story, can be a logic that gives people a place to start yeah. with. And as you were saying, some of your earlier work, you didn't have that. And people would probably either think it was it looked good or it didn't, but it w- might not go beyond that. And so I think the stories and things behind your work are are important and interesting. So thank you. So I think that just about wraps it up and I just want to thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you too. It's always a pleasure seeing you. All right. Bye now. Well, that about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. You can find The Messy Studio on Facebook as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. Make sure to check out www.coldwaxbook.com and www.rebeccacroll.com and sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. Please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, or Stitcher and leave us a rating and a review. Remember to share the show with friends and family and anyone who you think will enjoy it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your own creative space messy or otherwise. Thank you.